Thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and this is The Bible Teachers. We are continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the 10th program in the series. Hello, Danny. Hi, Barry. Danny, what's the title of our presentation today? Today's message is entitled Hopeless End or Endless Hope. So what's that all about? We're going to be taking a look at the manner of Christ's coming and more importantly, how we can be prepared for his soon return. Danny, there's a lot of confusion around the second coming, isn't there? Absolutely. There are many who believe that Christ will come secretly through a secret rapture. There are others who believe he'll come personally into one's heart. And then there are those that believe that Christ will come gloriously where every eye will see him. Jesus was very clear about the manner of his coming and why we need to know. So we're going to explore that through the Bible today. That sounds really great. Over to you, Danny. Thank you. Welcome to the search for certainty. My name is Danny Malenkov, and today's topic is endless hope or hopeless end. Did you get that? Endless hope or hopeless end. Today we want to discover the truth about what the Bible teaches regarding how this world will end. There are many different ideas and views and theories regarding how this world may come to an end. There are some that believe that this world will come to an end through a global nuclear war, and we're all well aware that we have enough nuclear arsenal to destroy this world a number of times over. Then there are those who believe that we may be struck by a doomsday asteroid, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these asteroids floating around in space not too far away from our planet. Then there are those who believe we, our planet may be struck by a fatal disease, uh, maybe something along the lines of Ebola, which might spread well beyond the shores of Africa uh, to, to all other parts of the world. Then there is, of course, the pressing issue of global warming. And there are some that believe that we will destroy ourselves through our neglect and global warming will be our final nail. Then there are those that believe, and I found this fascinating and, um, and quite humorous, that our planet may at some point be ejected from our solar system. Well, you try and work that out. If you work that out, you come and talk to me and um, I'll be interested to know how that all works. Uh, then there is another uh, new version of the Bing Bang Theory and, um, and there are many, many other versions that are out there. And today with the internet... Um, there are more ideas than, than, than one can churn through in a, in a, in a year, let alone, let alone a day or two. I came across the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, uh, a group of scientists that came together in June of 1947, a couple of years after World War II, and uh, their idea was to seek to put together what has become known as the Doomsday Clock, you may have heard of the doomsday clock uh, put together by these scientists, and what they tried to do was to seek to discover how close we were as a human race to the hour of midnight, the hour of midnight being uh, that moment in time when this world, as we know it, would come to an abrupt end. The doomsday clock in 1947, based on what was going on in the world, um, was put at seven minutes to midnight. It's gone up and down over the years. Um, I think the, the furthest from midnight 
it has been was back in 1991 um, at 17 minutes to midnight. But today, currently, it stands at five minutes to midnight. Why five minutes to midnight? Well, these individuals, these scientists, as they have taken a look at the times that we're living in, this is the conclusion that they have come to. First and foremost, amongst those issues that are, that are pressing are nuclear weapons, but the dangers also include climate change technologies, emerging biotechnologies and cyber technologies that could inflict irrevocable harm, they say, whether by intention, miscalculation or by accident to our way of life and to the planet at large. So how close are we to midnight? Hollywood has come along with its own version of a doomsday end of the world scenario through a number of movies that have been put out. Uh, millions upon millions of individuals have, have watched movies such as Armageddon, The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, or just recently, 2012, most have come to the conclusion as they watch these Hollywood drama movies that the end of the world scenario is nothing but fiction. Good for entertainment, but you can't take it seriously. Can't take it seriously that this world will come to an end as we know it. Most believe optimistically that life will go on indefinitely. We'll somehow eventually sort out our problems through the world governments or a one world government, and an eternal age of peace and prosperity will be ushered in for all. So we've got nothing to worry about. This world will not end as we know it, but we will sort everything out and we will live happily ever after. So let's ask that question again. How will the world end? Will it end with a big bang or will we just continue as we are today? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. You might remember from one of our very first messages that we looked at together. We looked at that incredible prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. You remember that dream that, that King Nebuchadnezzar had outlining the history of the world from his day all the way to the very end? You'll remember at the end of that dream, there is a stone that is cut out without hands that strikes the image on the feet that are made of iron and clay. And that stone becomes a great mountain that, that, that takes over this entire world. Daniel shared with the king, based on the interpretation that God gave him, that that stone was indeed the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus that would usher in the end of the world as we know it, the second coming of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches regarding how this world will end. So that's how this world will end. Now, the question is, how will Jesus come? The Bible says he will come a second time. But how will he come? That's the all important question that we need to look at today together. We need to answer this from the Bible as always, for this is an important question, as we will discover, to not understand how Jesus will come may end up costing you eternal life. That's a bold statement, I know, but we will see the truthfulness of this 
from God's word together. So before we open up God's word and discover the answer as to how Jesus will come and how we can be ready for the coming of Jesus, as always, let's pause and pray and ask Jesus to bless us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your precious word. We ask and pray that you will help us to understand how you will return. We have already discovered that this world will not end through, through, through nuclear means or through global warming or, or any one of these other scenarios that have been put out there. But, Father, that this world will end when you send your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come to rescue those that have put their faith and trust in you. But, Father, Father today our question is, how will Jesus come? There's a lot of confusion regarding this subject, especially in Christian circles. And so we ask and pray that as we open your word, you will open our hearts and our minds that we may be able to understand the truth from your word. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice what Jesus shared with his disciples on that Thursday evening before his crucifixion. John 14 verse 1, Jesus' words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a beautiful promise. Jesus has given us this beloved promise that has warmed the hearts of countless millions down through the ages who have longed and looked forward to the glorious coming of Jesus. Look forward to the one that would come to take them so that they may be where he is also. The second coming, in fact, is mentioned over 1,500 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, for every promise of the first coming of Jesus, in the Old Testament, that's right, there are eight promises concerning his second coming. In the New Testament, one out of every 25 verses is related to the second coming of Jesus. So as you can see, the second coming of Jesus from Genesis all the way through to Revelation is that blessed hope that, that permeates and runs as a, as a precious promise all the way through the Scriptures. Notice how the Bible ends. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Notice the final words of Jesus as John quotes what he heard. John first speaking, he says, He who testifies to these things says, so he's speaking here, and he's quoting Jesus. The words are in red if you have a red letter Bible. Surely I am coming quickly. Notice the final words of Jesus recorded in the Bible. Surely I I am coming quickly. And then John responds, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. John longed for the coming of Jesus. When he heard those words from Christ, his beloved friend, surely I am coming quickly. The only response that he could give was, Amen. Let it be so. Even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. The Apostle Paul in the book of Titus, chapter 2 and verse 13, he wrote, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 
The second coming in is indeed the blessed hope for the Christian, the blessed hope for the one that has invited Jesus to be their best friend, for the one that has invited Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their life. There is no greater expectation than to be with Jesus, to spend eternity with him. Now, the enemy knows, and we all know who the enemy is. The enemy knows that Christians are longing for and looking forward to the blessed hope being realized, the blessed hope of Christ's return. This being the case, could it be, could it be that because he knows how much Christians are longing and looking forward to the coming of Jesus, that he will once again try and bring in a counterfeit, that he will once again seek to bring in deceptions or a deception in order to deceive those, even those faithful Christians who are longing and looking forward to the coming of Jesus. As we have already discovered, for every truth in the Bible, Satan has a counterfeit. Could it be for this, that, that for this great and glorious truth regarding the second coming that he also has a counterfeit? I believe the answer is yes, and we will discover that from God's word. In fact, notice the words of Jesus. In Matthew 24 and verse 24, Jesus speaking, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, notice these words from Jesus, even the elect. What were those words again? Even the elect. Who are the elect? The elect are those that claim to be followers of Christ. How will they be deceived? If possible, notice the words of Jesus. False Christs and false prophets will rise. Who do you think is the ultimate false Christ? Who do you think may seek to impersonate Christ? Impersonate him coming to this world a second time? Who is the ultimate false Christ? It would have to be the enemy himself, our arch enemy. Satan himself. Notice, in fact, what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 writes, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Wow, these are sober words, aren't they? The Apostle Paul is clear. God is clear. Satan has the God-given power. I don't understand how all this works. The Bible doesn't quite unpack how this can take place, how Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. But the Bible just simply says he can. If he can transform himself into a, an amazing angel of light that is dazzling beyond what human eyes have encountered, could it be? Could it be that he could deceive millions upon millions, in fact, billions of people around the world, that he is the Christ who has come? Could it be that this is what Jesus was referring to? My friend, I believe with all my heart, based on the words of Jesus, based on what the Apostle Paul has written, that we must know the truth concerning how Jesus will come to planet Earth. We don't need to wonder about the when. Jesus told us that no man knows the hour 
or the day, only the Father. We don't need to we don't need to ask the question if Jesus will come. The Bible is clear on that. But the question is, how will Jesus come to planet Earth a second time? If we don't know the truth concerning this all-important subject, if we cannot answer this question from the Bible, according to the words of Jesus, we run the risk of accepting and worshipping the ultimate false Christ. That's what Jesus shared. There is a lesson from history, my friend. Let's think about what happened 2,000 years ago. Let me ask you, why did the Jews or why did the Jewish nation, in particular the Jewish leadership, miss the first coming of Jesus? You remember? Jesus came 2,000 years ago. The Bible says he came to his, he came to his own and his, and his own did not receive him. Why didn't his own people receive him? Why did his own people crucify him? It is because the Jews 2,000 years ago, in particular, the leadership, they missed the first coming of Jesus because they got the how of Jesus' first coming all wrong. You see, they were expecting Jesus to come as a conquering Messiah, a Messiah who would deliver them from the oppression they were experiencing under the Romans, a Messiah that would come and, and give them endless food, that would come and and would heal their soldiers when they went into battle, a Messiah that would reign on David's throne there in Jerusalem, a Messiah who would once again bring the children of Israel, would bring the Jewish nation to world prominence, and the Jewish nation would rule the world through their Messiah. And so when Jesus came and he said, I haven't come, to be a Messiah, to deliver you from the Romans. I have come to you as the Messiah, as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I have come to deliver you from the oppression of sin, not the oppression of the Romans. They rejected Jesus because they were not expecting Jesus to come in that way. And so today, whilst millions upon millions around the world are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. There are thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of precious Jewish men and women who are still waiting for the first coming of Jesus, not believing that 2,000 years ago Jesus came because they were expecting Jesus to come in a very different way than what he did come. They missed the first coming of Jesus because they got the how of Jesus coming all wrong. Could it be, could it be that the enemy will also seek to counterfeit the second coming of Jesus, the how of Jesus coming in order, in order to deceive even the very elect, as Jesus put it? So let's find out. How will Jesus come? What do some people believe? These, these are some of the, the main ideas that, that people in society today believe regarding the second coming of Jesus. There are some that believe that Jesus' second coming is a spiritual coming in that Jesus comes into our hearts. It's more of a New Age mystical type of, 
of of um, belief concerning the coming of Jesus. Very popular today in many circles. Then there are those that believe that when Jesus comes, he will reign on earth. He will reign on earth. There are those that believe when Jesus comes the second time, he will come secretly. You may have heard of the secret rapture. This is widely believed and taught um, in, in Christian circles today. In fact, this is probably the most prominent view when it comes to Bible prophecy in relation to the second coming of Jesus. There have been a number of books um, that have been um, put out by a couple of authors, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, who put out a series of at least 12. There may be more now, but um, the last time I checked, there were 12 novels um, entitled uh, Left Behind. And uh, looking at the scenario that they are portraying that this world will be in after the secret rapture takes place. There was a movie put out, Left Behind, the secret rapture, when, when Jesus will come and secretly whisk away those who are ready, those who are true followers of Christ, and everybody else will be left here on planet Earth. There was an individual by the name of Harold Camping, a minister, who had um, a radio ministry. He's passed away now. He passed away in 2013. But in May 21 of 2011, he predicted that the secret rapture would take place. And he also predicted that five months later, on October 21, Jesus would come gloriously a third time and he would take all those that had been left behind who hadn't been raptured the first time secretly, he would come and he would take them to heaven. Well, Jesus never came on May 21 secretly, and the world did not end on October 21, 2011 either. So what does the Bible say regarding the coming of Jesus? Could it be that the Bible speaks of the second coming of Jesus being a glorious event? Not a secret event, but a glorious event. This is another teaching. And this is the teaching that we want to explore today, which I believe, and you will discover, is based on the Bible. Notice what Jesus said in John eight thirty one. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Notice the promise that Jesus gives. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you take the time to spend time in my word, you will be my disciples. You are my true disciples. And because you have spent time in my word, I give you the promise that you will know the truth and the truth will indeed set you free. There is nothing more precious than truth. And truth does set us free. Sets us free from what? It sets us free from error. Sets us free from, from being deceived. What did Jesus say? Even the very elect, if possible, Satan would seek to deceive them concerning the coming of Jesus. The only way to remain undeceived, my friends, is to abide in the word. To abide in the word. 
I remember hearing of this incident that took place in the United States. Um, I believe it is um, it, it happened. Um, I'm yet to I'm yet to confirm the details, but it's a it's it's a powerful story, and it certainly illustrates a very powerful point. There was a time um, not so many years ago when there was a counterfeit racket going on in the United States. There were some individuals who were counterfeiting um, $20 notes. And these $20 notes were produced um, with such high quality and so close to the original that it was almost impossible to tell the difference between one of these counterfeit $20 notes and the genuine so the government didn't really know what to do, and um, they discussed and talked and shared. And while they discussed and talked and shared how to, how to deal with this problem, these notes were just circulating more and more further and further throughout the United States. Finally, they came up with a plan. They decided that they would bring in 5,000 tellers, bank tellers, to the Pentagon for training how to decipher and how to distinguish a $20 original note from, from a counterfeit. And so these individuals spent two weeks, 5,000 tellers, two weeks there in the Pentagon receiving training on how to tell the difference. Well, after two weeks, their assignment was over and they were sent back to their banks. Now, do you know how many counterfeit $20 notes they went through during that two-week period? Would you like to guess? Well, I can't really hear what you're guessing. Some of you may be guessing 100. Some of you may be guessing 50. Some of you may be 20. Some of you may be 10. Some of you may be even more than that. Who knows? The answer is zero. Zero. That's right. You heard correctly. They did not examine one single counterfeit $20 note. Not even the $20 counterfeit notes that were being circulated. Not one of them. Instead, for the entire two-week period, these 5,000 tellers, they spent all their time understanding and, and, and knowing everything there was to know about the original, the the, the real $20 note. They knew what it felt like. They knew what it looked like. They knew what it smelled like. And I'm assuming they probably even knew what it tasted like. They knew everything about the original $20 note. Well, they all went back to their, to their banks. And um, as the story goes, uh, these individuals who were seeking to, to continue their their, their, their wonderful adventure and their free money business came back into the bank to do some more business. One of them happened to come across a teller that had been to the Pentagon. She had been trained and she knew the original $20 note back the front. And so she took one look at this note. She felt it and immediately she knew that it wasn't an original. So she sounded the alarm. And as they say, the rest is history. These individuals were caught, and today they're spending quiet time, I guess, behind bars. Who knows where they are now? But as I thought about that story, 
I thought about the reality of what we're dealing with. The only way we can know what the Bible teaches is if we know the Bible. The only way to tell the difference between the true and the counterfeit is to know the original. When you know the original, you can spot the counterfeit from a mile away. You remember that beautiful poem that we've looked at on another occasion? What says the Bible? The blessed Bible to me. The teachings of men so often mislead me. What says the Bible? The blessed Bible to me. This my only question be. What says the Bible? The blessed Bible to me. We need to know what the Bible has to say. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter with due respect what you say, my friend. But it matters what Jesus says. What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? This, my, this, our only question be. So what does the Bible teach concerning how Jesus will come? When we come back, we will seek to find out what the Bible says regarding the how of Jesus coming and how we can be ready. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2-4973-3456 Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia all one word dot org dot au Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Welcome back. Before the break, we ask the all-important question. So what does the Bible teach concerning how Jesus will come? Firstly, the Bible tells us that the second coming of Jesus will be a visible event. How visible? Notice what the book of Revelation teaches. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he, that is Jesus, is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. How many eyes will see him? Every eye will see him. This will be a visible event where every single person on planet earth will see Jesus coming. You won't need to turn on your news to know that Jesus has come. Every eye will see him. This is exactly what Jesus shared in Matthew 24. Let's take a look at these words of Jesus. And he spends quite a, little, quite a bit of time dealing with this very topic because Jesus knew how important this would be, especially for those living at the end of time, those who were looking forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we have already noted. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 23 to 27. Jesus speaking, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, 
if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Notice these words. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice Jesus made it clear. His coming would be visible. It would be very, very visible, just as lightning that flashes from the west goes all the way to the east. Everyone can see it. You know what it's like seeing lightning, regardless of where, where you are, whether you're inside the house, outside the house, whether you're in the garage or whether you're in your shed or whether you've got your head under the, under the doona, under the blankets, because you're afraid of the lightning. When that lightning strikes, you can see it. So that is what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus teaches. When he comes, every eye will see him. There is an individual by the name of Alan Miller, and he believes that he is Jesus. Several years ago, he began a ministry entitled Divine Truth Ministry, and he believes that he's a reincarnation of Jesus. That's right, a reincarnation of Jesus. And he, he has stated, and he was on a current affair, that yeah, he's Jesus. He has come back as Jesus in the flesh and that we can all become divine. We can all become one with God and we can all be divine. His partner, his partner, who is Mary Luck, says that she is Mary Magdalene from 2000 years ago. And it's not one or two, but it's a number of individuals, a number of Australians. He he, he lives near King Arroy, and he has this property set up there near King Arroy, uh, several hundred hectares or acres there near King Arroy, where him and his followers live, and others from various parts of Australia and even from around the world come to listen to his divine truth teaching, believing that he is Jesus. If only these individuals understood what the Bible says that would never have been deceived. That would never have believed that Alan Miller is Jesus Christ of Nazareth because the Bible says when Jesus comes, it won't be only a few people that will see him. You won't only see him on a current affair, but every single eye will see him. Secondly, the Bible says that the coming of Jesus will be glorious. His second coming will be glorious. How glorious? Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's glory and of all the holy angels. Wow, that's a lot of glory. Jesus is coming in his own glory. He tells us he's coming in his Father's glory. And if that wasn't enough, he is coming in the glory of all the angels. The Bible says regarding the angels there, there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels. You remember what took place when one angel came to roll back the stone and, 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 and to command Jesus in the name of his father to, to, to come forth, to come out of the grave. One angel came down and, and the Bible says that whole battalion of soldiers, those hardened 
experienced Roman soldiers. A hundred of them, the Bible says, fell like dead men when one angel came. Imagine this world will be lit up like you and I cannot even begin to imagine when Jesus comes with his Father's glory and the glory of all of the angels. The Bible says when Jesus comes, his coming will not only be visible, it will not only be glorious, but it will also be audible. That is, you will hear it and you will hear it well and truly. Even if you may be deaf, your ears will be opened as Jesus comes. Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 50 and verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. The Bible is clear. When Jesus comes, the event will not be a silent event. Earlier on, we talked about uh, the theory or the belief that, that millions of Christians hold that when Jesus comes the second time, he will come secretly. He will come silently. The Bible doesn't speak anything of such a thing. The Bible says the very opposite. It says that when Jesus comes, he will not keep silent. It will be a very tempestuous event. It will be loud, as loud as you and I cannot even begin to imagine. Notice what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Did you notice those words? Notice those three adjectives. Those three powerful descriptors of the coming of Jesus. He will come with a mighty shout. He will come with the voice of the archangel. And he will come with the trumpet of God. When was the last time you listened to a trumpet? Trumpets, they make a loud noise. If, you have, if you're fortunate enough or maybe unfortunate enough to have a young person next door practicing and playing the trumpet, you certainly know when the trumpet is being played, you can hear it from a long way away. Well, what glorious event will take place at the coming of Jesus when he comes? Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, the Apostle Paul writing, encouraging the believers in Corinth who were discouraged and saddened as their loved ones were passing away and Jesus had not returned. Notice how he encourages the believers in Corinth, how he encourages you and I today. Behold, writes the apostle, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. You remember that trumpet? that Jesus spoke of? For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So what glorious event will take place when Jesus comes the second time? The resurrection will take place. All those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus will be raised to live forevermore. Those who were alive, the Apostle Paul writes, in the book of Thessalonians, they will be caught up together with those that have been resurrected. And the Bible says they will be with the Lord forevermore. When Jesus comes, 
the resurrection will take place. It will be a loud event. The graves will shake. The graves will open. And the one who has the key to the grave, Jesus Christ, will open the graves of every single person from the days of Adam all the way to the very end of time, all those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And at that time, the corruptible, that is us, the way we are now, will put on incorruption. Our mortal bodies will be transformed in an instant, in a moment, and we will have immortality. We will be able to live forever. We will receive the gift of immortality from the one who alone is immortal, and that is God himself. Fourthly, how will Jesus come? The Bible says that the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, will be a climactic event. When Jesus comes, there will only be two groups of people. That's right. There will only be two groups of people, those who are saved and those who are lost. Notice how Jesus described the climax of human history and these two groups. Matthew 24 and verse 30 and 31, we read these words. Jesus speaking, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice there will be a group of people all around the world who Jesus sadly declares will mourn. When they see Jesus coming, they will mourn. Notice there will be another group. Jesus goes on, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Notice two groups, one group who mourn, who sadly have not accepted the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has freely made available to them through his sacrifice. They have said no when Jesus came knocking on the door of their hearts. But there is another group. I praise God for this second group. I praise God that Jesus Christ tells us that there will be a group, and he refers to them as his elect. And where do his elect come from? Do they only come from Australia or from America or from Europe or from Africa or from a few parts of the world? No, his elect, Jesus said, will come from the four winds or from the four corners under heaven. Jesus has his elect. Jesus has his people that have put their faith and trust in him. Jesus has his people who have said, yes, come in when they have heard the knock of Jesus on the door of their hearts. They have accepted the gift of eternal life and they have made a decision to live their lives for Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus earlier on said concerning his coming and how he would come, the enemy, Satan, would seek to, to raise up false prophets and false Christ and ultimately he would be the false Christ, the ultimate false Christ, to deceive if possible. You remember the words of Jesus? If possible, even the very elect. But the very elect have put their faith and trust in God's word. The very elect do not make decisions based on what they see. 
based on what they hear. They do not make decisions based on the miracles and the signs and the great wonders. They do not trust in their senses. The very elect of God trust in the word of God. The word of God is faithful. The word of God is truth. If you and I put our faith and trust in the word of God alone, then we will never be deceived. We are putting our faith and trust in that original document. And when you know that original document, when you know the truth and you abide in the truth, then that truth will set you free and you will never be deceived. You will remain undeceived and you'll be part of the elect that will be ready for the coming of Jesus. In Revelation, John describes this event through these words. Once again, we're looking at the climax of human history. We're looking at the second coming being this climactic event that divides the entire world into two camps. You remember those two camps? According to the words of Jesus, those who mourn and those who are the elect. Notice what John describes in Revelation chapter 6, verses 14 and onwards. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Does that sound like a tumultuous event? Absolutely. Nothing secretive about the second coming of Jesus, according to the words of Revelation. Let's keep reading. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And notice what they cry out. They cried out, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Wow. The Bible here describes, John here describes what he saw in vision. He saw, he saw the heavens like a scroll rolled up, and Jesus coming, and, and people, those who mourn, crying out to the rocks to fall on them. Who is able to stand? The question is asked, who is able to stand? We don't have time. But in Revelation 7, it speaks of those who are sealed, those who receive the seal of God or the name of God in their foreheads. They are able to stand. We're going to deal with that subject on another occasion. But the Bible in the Old Testament describes those who are able to stand. In the book of Isaiah, it describes those who will stand and notice what they will cry out. The first group, they cry out when they see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven, they cry out for the rocks to hide them. They go into the caves because they want to be hidden from the face of Jesus. But there is another group. Notice what they cry out. Behold, this is Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Wow. What what a cry. I want to be part of that group, don't you? I want to be part of that group that cries out, Behold, this is my God. I have put my faith and trust in Him. I have patiently waited for Him. I have loved Him. I have, I have surrendered my heart and my life to Him, and He will save me. He will save us. How can I be prepared to meet Jesus when He comes? There will only be two groups. 
How can I be ready? How can I be part of that group who Jesus spoke of as the elect? How can I be part of that group who cry out, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34 and onwards. Jesus said concerning his coming, his second coming, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. What day? Well, Jesus here is speaking of his second coming. Luke chapter 21 is dealing with the signs and the second coming of Jesus. What does Jesus say? Take heed or be careful. Be careful that you don't get so caught up in life. The things of this world that the second coming, that my coming catch you unexpectedly. Notice Jesus coming is not a secret, but according to Jesus, his coming is a surprise. It will catch many by surprise. There's a big difference between a secret and a surprise. The second coming of Jesus is a surprise and not a secret. Jesus goes on, For it will come as a snare for all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. How can we be ready? How can we ensure that we are not surprised by the coming of Jesus and caught unprepared and ultimately end up with those who mourn, end up lost? Notice Jesus gives us powerful counsel in verse 36. Luke chapter 21, watch therefore and pray always. How often are we to watch and pray? Jesus says, always, always. He goes on, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Wow. Do you remember those words earlier on? By those who mourn, by those who are asking for the rocks to fall upon them, to hide them from the face of Jesus. You remember their question, who is able to stand? And Jesus says, those who are watching, those who are praying always, they will be able to stand when the Son of Man comes. My friend, if you want to stand on that great day when Jesus comes, you and I must be willing now to kneel, humbly kneel and to pray, to pray always. To watch. How do we watch? We watch by spending time in God's Word. We watch by immersing our faces in the Word of God. That's right. Not immersing our eyes and our faces in Facebook, but putting our faces in the ultimate book, the book of life, the Word of God, the book of books. That is the book that we ought to be spending time with. Not necessarily Facebook. Some of us spend too much time on Facebook and not enough time in God's book. If that's you, I want to encourage you to spend more time in God's word. Spend more time in prayer that you may be able to stand. Jesus said in Revelation 22 verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. Why did Jesus say, Surely I am coming quickly? He said that 2,000 years ago. And he hasn't come. Surely 2,000 years isn't quickly. So what does Jesus mean when he says, surely I am coming quickly? Well, my friend, the truth is, the truth is that when you breathe your last, whenever that may be, and we have no guarantees, we have no guarantees of when that will be. But when you and I breathe our last 
Our decision has been sealed for all eternity. Our decision has been made for or against Jesus. Our decision has been made whether we will be part of the everlasting kingdom of love of Christ or not. And we make our decision. When we, when we breathe our last, our decision is sealed. Jesus has come for you when you breathe your last. The second coming of Jesus has come. And so that's why Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. He says, Watch, pray always, be ready always. How often ought to we be ready? Always, always. Notice the Apostle Paul shares the same message. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is the day of salvation? It's now. It's today. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day. Today, the Bible says, if you will hear his voice in the book of Hebrews, do not harden your hearts. Today, we have today. We have right now. We don't even have five minutes from now. Ours is the present. And so the Bible teaches us. Jesus invites us today. If you will hear my voice, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, now is the time to make your decision for Jesus. My friend, before we pray, I want to finish off with a story. I want to finish off with a, a powerful story that, that, that took place in my life many moons ago. Back in 1993, I was only 22 years old, had the opportunity of going to Macedonia that's where my parents came from. That's where my grandparents lived at the time. And I had the opportunity of catching up with my grandparents, two sets of grandparents. I, in particular, um, enjoyed catching up with my grandfather, uh, my father's father. I love, I love both sets of grandparents. And, um, but my, 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 my grandfather, my father's father, he, he really touched my heart in a special way. He was a very emotional kind of guy. And, and every time he saw me, every time I was around him, he looked after goats and we'd go uh, look after the goats together. And while we were just sitting down, resting, relaxing in the, in the shade while the goats were just um, feeding he would put his arm around me and he would kiss me and he would cry and he just loved having his grandson around and um, because I was just so far away, 20,000 kilometers, and we hadn't seen each other for so long. And, and anyway, we had a blast of a time. We had a lovely time and um, it was a real precious time. Well, unfortunately, the moment came when I had to leave, had to come back home. And I remember being there at the bus stop. Uh, with my grandfather and um, and I looked into his eyes and he was looking into my eyes and, and he was crying and I was crying. It was very sad. As I, He was a very emotional guy, an extremely emotional guy. And I'm not the most emotional guy, but when I see people cry, I also begin to cry and um, and get all emotional. And so here's my grandfather and he's all hunched over. He's about 80 years old. And, um, and I just had a sense, I just had a sense that this may be the very last time I speak to my grandfather. I wasn't sure when I'd be coming back to Macedonia. This may be the very last time I would speak to my grandfather and, and, and look into his face. He didn't have a telephone there in his village. And, um, and so I said to him, Granddad, I said, Granddad, I want to make you a promise. And I want to invite you to make me a promise. And that is when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, 
I want to see you. I want to see you. Whether it be the resurrection morning or whether we are caught up alive together to be with the Lord forever. Whatever the case may be, when Jesus comes, I want to see you again. I want us to spend eternity together. This life is just too short. We've only spent a few brief moments together. We've got so much more to catch up on. And he looked into my face and with tears streaming down his eyes, and there were tears streaming down my eyes, he said, my son, when Jesus comes, by his grace, by his grace, I will be there to meet you again. And you know what, my friend? That was indeed the last time I saw my grandfather. Fifteen years later, I had the opportunity of going to Macedonia. And there, not far away from my grandfather's village, I had the opportunity of running uh, some min- meetings, some seminars, such as I'm sharing with you on the radio. And there, as I reflected at my grandfather's tomb, at his, at his graveside, I should say, there I reflected on those words that we shared with one another. The promise that we made to one another by the grace of God and only by the grace of God that we would meet one another on that glorious resurrection morning. I'm longing for that day. I'm looking forward to that day when I will meet my grandfather. My friend, maybe you have lost a loved one. Maybe you have lost a child. Maybe you have lost a friend. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you too can look forward to the coming of Jesus. You too can look forward to that great and awesome day when that reunion will take place, when Jesus will come and all those that have put their faith and trust in him will be raised to live forevermore with him. And those who are alive will be caught up together with those that have been raised from their graves to live with Jesus forevermore. Don't you want to be part of that great day, my friend? I'm sure you do. I do. I'm sure we all want to. Why don't we pray now as we invite Jesus into our hearts, as we invite him into our lives, as we once again say, Jesus, we want to be ready for your coming. We want to be part of that glorious event. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the wonderful promise that Jesus has given to us that he is coming back again. He's coming back. And when he comes back the second time, He will put an end to suffering, sorrow, and sin. There will be no more death and destruction and disease, but we will live forevermore in the place that He has prepared for all those who love Him. It is my prayer, Father, that each one of us, each one of us will be there on that great day to welcome Jesus when He comes in the clouds. This is our prayer in His precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.